Yeah, my wife, my wife told me she was upset with me because I never buy her flowers. I didn't know she sold flowers. <laughs> there it is. You've got one for the day. Hey, everyone, good morning. So glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. Happy summer. Thanks for carving out part of your time to be with us this week. I know this service, I hope this service will be a blessing to you in your week. Um, and thanks for those of you who are carving out time at home where you didn't want to brave the rain or you're out on vacation. I talked to one family earlier. They're at the baseball field every Sunday morning watching their kids, but they make Monday nights their family church night. So you might be watching this later this week with your family, your friends. We're just so glad to have you here. With it being, you know, a celebratory day, Summer, we like to kind of cut loose and have some fun, not just on Wednesday night, but here in our services too. So as we're going through this series, today we're talking about the heart. And I thought, well, let's have some fun as we get into this topic of the heart. So I spent some time this week in my sermon research Googling the most popular songs on radio about the heart. Yeah. And we're going to play a little game of this or that. Can we do that? Okay. So this or that, I'm going to put two song titles up here. Uh, you, you yell out which one you think is the favorite of your, the better song, and we'll kind of see who wins. Can we do this, Heartland? Have some fun? There we go. All right. So this or that song edition, we're going to start with some oldies but goodies. Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Jelton John or Total Eclipse of the Heart, Bonnie Tyler. Which one? I think it was Total Eclipse. I think Total Eclipse won. There it is. All right. All right. The, uh, the next one we've got here, uh, we're jumping up a couple decades. Ooh, boy band edition. <laughs> Quit playing games with my heart or tearing up my heart. Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC. What do you think? <laughs> Let's be honest. They're the same exact song, just different guys singing them. Okay. <laughs> So it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, next one, maybe you're not. Oh, we've got to go into the country territory. All of our country fans, this one's for you. I'm with you. Uh, Achy, breaky heart, Billy Ray Cyrus, you know, heart like a truck, Lainey Wilson. What do you think? Achy, breaky. Lainey Wilson's still kind of cutting her teeth in country music, but she'll get there. But yeah, achy, breaky heart. Let's start some line dancing after the service. Maybe you're thinking all these old songs. Who are these people? I'm a younger, younger generation. Uh, this one's for you. Stereo Hearts by Jim Class Heroes and Adam Levine. Uh, you'll know it if you hear it, I promise you. Uh, or I Heart by Taylor Swift. You're just saying Taylor Swift because it's Taylor Swift. You don't know that song at all. <laughs> Anyone going to the concert? Yep. Uh, one more. Last one. Thanks for playing along. Last one. Again, it's a couple of oldies. Uh, Hungry Heart by The Boss, Bruce Springsteen. Or My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> I think the boss, the boss is one, not too many Titanic fans. Hey, give yourselves a hand. Way to go. You did it. You did it. You jumped in. So today we're talking about the heart. We're in week three of our series going through the book of Proverbs, which is a book filled with wisdom for everyday living. That God gives us in his word not only instructions for eternal life, but he gives us instructions for daily life too. But as we've learned in this series, it's one thing to have the instructions. It's another thing to follow them. And really, the, the, the promise of this series, the promise of the book of Proverbs that we find right in the middle of God's word, the scriptures, the promise is, is that if we follow, not just know, but follow these instructions, our lives will benefit from them. That we'll, we'll avoid regret and we'll experience flourishing, that your relationships will thrive in new ways. That your parenting won't feel like you're, you know, kind of walking around in the dark as much as we do. That you'll know how to navigate some of the challenges of, of work and uh, careers, 
and the people that you work with, all because God gives us this wisdom to help us because that's the kind of God that he is. He wants to help us through the challenges of our life. And so each week we've been taking a look at these Proverbs and learning what these timeless truths have to say to us today. So today we're looking at one of my favorite Proverbs. It shows up in chapter 4, but before we get to this proverb, I want to go back a few verses to lead up to it because this is an important thing. This is, this is what shows up, starting in verse 20, chapter 4. Solomon writes, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight, but keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Now I want to push the pause button here right now. Solomon is the uh, author of these Proverbs. They're written as a father to a child. And each proverb is meant to help this child in their life flourish and avoid regret. Solomon's basically saying, I want to save you from having to learn some things on your own. I want to keep you out of the pit on the side of the road that you may take just through the, the natural course of learning what life is all about. I'm going to give you this wisdom. But if you've ever been maybe a parent trying to pass on wisdom to a child or a teenager, or you're an older generation, you know, trying to mentor a younger generation at work, uh, younger generations, we aren't always, you know, big on the wisdom that those ahead of us want to offer us. And maybe Solomon knew this. And in the book of Proverbs, there's actually over 800 <laughs> nuggets of wisdom in here. And I think, I think, you know, that's a lot. And Solomon knew that. And as, he, as he's passing this instruction along to his child, maybe he knows, you know what, this is a lot. I'm going to make this a lot simpler for you. I'm going I'm to boil it all down. And if there's one thing I want you to pay attention to, it's about to come. Because the next verse in this passage begins saying, above all else. These, these are attention-getting words. Above all else. Most importantly, if there's one thing that I want you to hold on to, out of this entire book maybe, here's the most important thing. Here's the proverb to rule them all. And it's this right here. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Solomon tells his child, this is the most important thing that I, I want to pass along to you. If there's one thing that will help you avoid regret and flourish in your life, guard your heart. In your relationships, guard your heart. In your finances and wealth, guard your heart. In your career, guard your heart. Now, if we're going to follow this proverb, this wisdom, not just know it, but actually follow it, there's a couple of things we have to know. One, we have to know what is your heart. And two, we have to know how do we guard it. So let's tackle those uh, here. What is your heart? Well, let's, let's talk about what it isn't. Because I know that as soon as I told you earlier in this message that we were going to talk about the heart, some of you groaned. Some of you men may have groaned. Uh, you may have wished you hadn't come to church this morning. You immediately mentally checked out, and, and I understand why. Because you hear heart, and you think, you think of emotions. You think of feelings. You think that we're about to kind of open up our hearts and get vulnerable and, and talk about what we're feeling in our hearts. It's all that mushy, squishy love stuff that some of those songs that we joked about at the beginning of the message are all about, right? And if that's what caused you to check out of the message today, I don't blame you. Um, but check back in. Because when the Old Testament scriptures talk about the heart, it's actually talking about something that is much bigger than just that. So, so what is the heart? Your heart is actually the headquarters of your life, according to scripture. Here's, here's what I mean by that. 
In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, when, when they talked about the heart, not only was it the emotional center of a person's being, it was the very center of their entire life outside of their emotions. So it was the emotional center, it was also the physical center. That on one hand, your heart, the, the Old Testament Israelites knew that your heart was an organ, a physical organ that pumped blood and kept your, your body alive. So, but it was also the way that you experienced the physical world around you. So it was the center of your emotional life, the center of your physical life. And here's where it gets a little bit different. Uh, the Hebrews also believed that your heart was the center of your thought life, that all of your thinking happened in your heart, that they actually didn't have a concept for your mind or your brain. They didn't even have a word for your mind or brain. So when we're in the Old Testament and you see the English word for mind, it's usually the translators are translating the word heart into mind or soul. They're translating it from soul or spirit, but they didn't actually have a word for heart, that all of your thinking happened in your heart, that if you were to change your mind, you would change your heart. If you wanted to change someone else's mind, you had to change their heart. So, so your heart was also the thought center of your life. And because of that, because your heart was the, the center of your emotions and your physical experience of the world and your thinking, your heart is also where your most important decisions in your life were made. This is where you discerned right from wrong. This is where you decided what was right what was wrong, what was good, what was bad, what was wise, what was unwise, what you would do, what you would say, the convictions that you would have. All of these things would happen inside of a person's heart. And this is why it's worth guarding. For everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do. So think about that for a second. Think about everything you did this week. In fact, just think about a few things. Is there anything you wish you could do over? Is there any conversation you had that you think, I wish I would have handled that differently? Is there anything you, uh, you know, said, a remark you made to a coworker, something you said about a coworker, something you said to a coworker that you wish you could do over? Is there a choice that you made that you wish you would have chosen differently? Is there a way that you spent an evening that you wish you could undo? And even as we go into this week, the thing is you're headed, I'm headed into a lot more doing. And most of the doing you do, you won't even know you're doing until you've done it. But how you do it all comes down to your heart. This is why we're talking about our hearts. Because nothing has more influence on how you live your life according to these scriptures than your heart. Because your heart is the headquarters of your life. That's what the heart is. So how do we guard it? To be honest, to guard your heart, it sounds like a phrase that I heard in my youth group growing up. It sounds like something you read on a dating blog or you've heard, you did hear, I, yeah, you've heard it countless times on The Bachelor. I'm just gonna guard my heart. <laughs> right? I don't watch The Bachelor, you watch The Bachelor. <laughs> but again, if that's what you think of when you think of guarding your heart, um, the Bible has something much bigger in mind. See, to guard, let's go back to just the definition of to guard. To guard is to protect from danger by watchful attention. It's to protect from danger by watchful attention. Guarding, you're doing this in all parts of your life right now. Right now, your doorbell camera, your ring doorbell that some of you have, are guarding your house by watching your front porch, right? Uh, maybe some of you have financial advisors or planners who are guarding your financial interests. They're watching your money for you. Uh, some of you are going to be at the pool later today or this week when it clears up, and, and you're going to have lifeguards who are 
guarding you with them and their, their training and their whistles who are keeping you safe from danger. That there are things that are guarding things in your life. It's, it's to guard, it's what these, speaking of Father's Day, uh, it's what these dads are doing here as they're trying to play basketball with their kids. They're guarding the basketball hoop. They're letting their kids know who, this is, this is my favorite one, this dad just has no shame. He's just not letting this, nope, not again, nope, nope, think again, uh-uh, try again. Just over and over and over again. Let's just hold it right there. And then he just drains one from the outside to let him know who the boss is, right? We guard things all the time. We guard the things that are valuable to us. But what's most valuable, what most needs to be guarded isn't your money. It isn't your house. It isn't your business. It isn't even your physical health. What the Bible tells us we need to guard most of all is our heart. That the most valuable thing about us, the most vulnerable thing about us is our heart. And that's why, that's why need, we need to guard it. And so I want to focus in on this word watch, that to guard is not only to defend and protect and secure, but it's especially to watch, that to guard our heart is to watch our heart. So I want to talk about some ways that we can guard our heart starting right now and as we go into this week so that the things that we do have less regrets and lead to more flourishing in our life because of the way that we're watching our heart. So here's the first way that we can guard our heart. It's by watching what we're letting into it. Watch what you're letting in. With it being summer, I know a lot of you are hitting the skies. You're flying to wonderful locations. You're visiting family. Our family did a little bit of this a while ago. We got to check out our sweet new Kansas City International Airport. Uh, have you been there? Enjoyed it? It's a good spot? No? You guys should try it out. It's fun. It's good. Uh, but we got to check out the sweet new Kansas City Airport. However, we had to fly through Atlanta, which is not sweet. If you have ever flown, uh, you know you do everything you can to avoid Atlanta because every year it is ranked as the busiest airport in the entire world. I think it's over 94 million people last year traveled through the Atlanta airport. That means over 2,700 flights every single day in all sorts of weather conditions that are coming and going from this airport. And at the center of it all is this right here. This is the Hartsfield-Jackson uh, Tower that sits at the middle of the airport. And everything that comes and goes from this airport is managed by this control tower right there. So the same is true about our heart. Like a control tower, your heart is managing the hundreds of things that are coming its way. Think of your heart as a control tower at the airport. Everything you see and hear and encounter comes through your heart. It comes on this side. Your heart is constantly being bombarded. It's the conversations that you're having. It's the conflict that you're running into. It's the things that you're experiencing around you, the things that you see, the things that you hear. It's the, it's the media that you encounter, the news media. It's the social media that you encounter. It's the advertisements that pop up in front of you that you have to click out of. Everything that's coming into your life is bombarding your heart. Now, the things you say are going to come out of your heart. This is, this, is, this, is, this is why we have to pay attention to our heart and manage it like a control tower does. Because right when we're being bombarded by these things, our heart is trying to figure out how to express itself. So in the midst of all of this, our heart is making decisions. Our heart is 
figuring out what to say in conversations. Our heart is forming convictions. Our heart is adopting certain ways of seeing the world. Our heart is identifying values that we want to cling to. All of these things are happening in our heart because it's the control tower of our life. And so uh, the choices you make, the values adopt, the very character that you develop is the expression of your heart. Jesus knew this, which is why he said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What the heart is full of is whatever we're filling it with. So how you live and the person you become is the direct result of what you let into your heart. Now, this is the part where pastors love to tell you to throw away all your secular music CDs in the garbage and never watch an R-rated movie again. I'm not going to tell you that. For one, what's a CD? <laughs> right? But two, and more importantly, because uh, this would actually be creating a moral, it could risk creating a morally legalistic mindset that's just as harmful as the immoral one I would be trying to protect you from. However, I do have to ask the question, do we know what we're letting into our heart? And I, if you would let me, I don't think, I don't think we do. I think all of those things that are coming into our heart, most of it we're aren't, we aren't even aware of. This is where the Atlanta control tower can help us. See, as soon as any sort of flying aircraft comes within five miles, a radius of five miles of that tower, that aircraft has to identify itself. That tower immediately knows who that aircraft is, how fast it's going, and, and where it's going. They are able to identify everything coming into its space, and nothing lands in or takes off from that airport without getting clearance from the tower. So what are you letting into the space of your life? And what are you giving clearance to land in your heart? It could be the movies and entertainment that you're watching that if you step back and think about, you have to ask, are these making me comfortable with things that I know aren't good for me? It could be the news feeds that you're watching. And what you're getting out of it isn't just information, but what you're actually getting is a sense that you're getting, becoming more disagreeable or fearful or cynical about the world. It could be the social media that you watch that's making you crave a life that's not yours. It could be the alcohol or the porn that you give into just to numb yourself from the stresses of life that you allow into the space of your heart that you're using as an escape. Even the very ads that you and I see, we are now experiencing because something else that we have clicked on at some point in our life or in our journey, we are now getting ads to cater to things, to, to cater to interests that our, heart, our hearts have already said that they have. Every time we do, every time, every click we make, every thought we entertain, everything that we land in our heart, we're giving clearance for something else down the road to come into it. And so if we want to learn how to limit some of these things into our heart, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not simply by stopping those things or filtering those things, that may be part of it, but a, an equally important part is by replacing those things with better things. This is why earlier in Proverbs, Solomon writes, do not forget my teaching, but keep Keep my commands. Where? In your heart. Keep my commands in your heart. In chapter 7, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then Psalm 119, a beautiful, enormous psalm just about the preciousness of God's word. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we want to guard what we're letting into our heart, it's by filtering some things out and by replacing them with better things. This is why I want to give another shout out to the QR code that's sitting in front of you. 
because we want to make it easy for all of us to be able to replace the things that the world bombards our way with better things. And one of the things that you'll find at the other end of that QR code is something we call the journey. This is a daily scripture reading plan that you can have emailed right to you that's been prepared by some of our teams and pastors here at Heartland. There's weekly devotionals that have been written by other people who are on this difficult journey with you that can encourage you and can nourish you and give you something to talk about with friends. And so I encourage you, jump in with us because we all need to replace some of the things that are coming into our heart with better things. And what could be better than the wisdom of God's word? So check that out. Here's the other way. Watch watch what you're letting in. The other way we guard our heart is to watch who you're walking with. Watch who you're walking with. If you were to become a wise person, the Proverbs makes it clear what one of the fastest and easiest ways to do so is. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Hold, hold this there for a second, because look at this. Look at the first part of this verse. This is quite the promise. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. That if you want to become wise, simply Come close to wise people. Just hang out with wise people. If you, uh, if you want to be a better leader, hang out with, with wise leaders. If you want to you grow, if you're starting a family and you want to do it well and you want to grow as a parent, spend time with other parents that you look up to. If you're leaving a life of addiction, find a mentor who knows what this journey is like and can counsel you along the way. Simply being close to people who are wiser than you, according to this proverb, will actually make you wiser. But look at this next part of this verse. For a companion of fools suffers harm. What we think this proverb is going to say is for a companion of fools will become foolish. But the proverb says, no, it's actually more than that. You don't just become foolish, if only that was the case. No, you will suffer harm. And the reason that's true is because a companion of fools places themselves in close enough proximity to the fool's stupid decisions, that you will suffer the shrapnel of their stupid decisions in your life. I was uh, trying to come up with a way to illustrate this. And yesterday, uh, I was hanging out with my oldest son. He's a 14-year-old. And I I said, I'm trying to come up with a way of illustrating this principle that a companion of fools suffers harm. And he says, well, that's easy. Middle school. (laughs) And I love that my 14-year-old had the wisdom in that moment to know, like, yes, this is, this, is, this is why parents, why we are so particular about the people that our kids hang out with, because we know that the companions of fools will suffer harm. I was also thinking of texting Dan and Craig for any ideas that they had as an illustration that could help kind of bring this to life a little bit. But then I remembered Dan was in St. Louis for a couple days this week, and he was driving back on I-70. And I said, well, I don't want to distract him while he's driving on I-70. And then I realized that a companion of fools suffers harm, I-70. That this is why we don't like driving down I-70, because you are literally placing yourself in the proximity of other people's stupid, foolish decisions. This is why the state of Missouri recently approved a bazillion dollars to widen I-70, because they realize what they, the kind of danger that this highway is putting people's lives in. You don't have to be the one making the foolish decision. It's the people around you that you're putting yourself in close enough proximity that will cause the collateral damage in your own life. So I didn't text in. I didn't want him to have a reason to throw shrapnel in someone else's life by texting me back. But you and I have experienced this in our relationships. There's someone that you've been friends with and they screwed up their life. And when their life started spinning, uh, you suffered the collateral damage from it. 
We did a whole series last summer called Asking for a Friend, and I encourage you, uh, go check it out if you didn't hear it, or maybe you need to watch some of it again. Because one of the big principles we identified in this series is that your friends, your companions, the people that you surround yourself with, they will determine so much of the direction and the quality of your life. That if you are hanging out with people uh, who are very negative and always blaming others, don't be surprised if you start becoming negative and blaming others too. That if you're hanging out with people who drink a lot, who are quitting their commitments easily, you'll probably start doing that too. And this is why, this is why we do so much to draw one another into relationships with one another. It's why we have things like Dads and Donuts this summer, so that we can place ourselves around other people who are wise, that there's someone else in the room or at the table or in the circle who might have some wisdom that can encourage us. It's why, it's why we have uh, man-time fire pits. It's why we have women's crowded tables. It's why we have midweek, you know, they'll come back again in the fall to give us a place to be able to surround ourselves with wise because, uh, because the friend of the wise, he who walks with the wise will become wise. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are my friends moving me in the direction I want to go? Are they moving me in the way that I want my career to go? Are they moving me in the way that I want my marriage to go? Are they moving me in the way that I want my relationship with God or my faith to go? That's the question we have to ask because the best thing that you can do for your future is to be friends with those whose lives are moving in the direction that you want yours to move. To guard our hearts, we have to watch those who are walking beside it. Here's the third thing. Watch where you're going. To guard our heart, we have to watch where we're going. You ever heard the phrase that's maybe in the back of your mind this whole time, follow your heart? Yes? You've heard it. Maybe you've even said it. I've said it too at times, and I understand the spirit behind this. The assumption is that uh, your heart knows what's best for you. That according to this phrase, your heart is this sort of inner GPS of your life that has the power to guide you to true happiness. And so maybe you followed your heart uh, into a new job. You followed your heart to a new city. You followed your heart in the midst of a, a, a really big decision. And I understand that. If there's a phrase that depicts our culture, it might be the phrase, follow your heart. There's a problem, though. It's wrong. That to follow your heart could be one of the worst bits of advice that we could hear from one another. That as beautiful and as well-intentioned as it sounds, our hearts don't know what's best for us. Your heart isn't meant to. Your heart isn't meant to know what's best for you. Your heart isn't meant to lead you. You are meant to lead your heart. Here's why. One of the reasons we know this is because Solomon, the very writer of this proverb, the great tragedy of his life is that in the end, he didn't follow the wisdom that God had given him. He followed his own heart. He followed the advice of Selena Gomez, who sang, the heart wants what the heart wants. What his heart wanted was wealth and women and power. He didn't guard his heart. He followed it. And we have to remember that what the heart wants often isn't what God wants and isn't always what's best for us. This is why in Proverbs 28, it says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. And then the prophet Jeremiah. Prophets, prophets are, are always known to tell it like it is. Prophet the Jeremiah writes, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a puzzle, he said. It's a, it's a trickster. It's not trying to be. It doesn't have malicious intent. It's just feeling one thing one day and another thing the other day. 
And so we have to be careful following it. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts. Now, if this is the nature of our heart, is to be this fickle, why would we follow it? If your heart is a compass, then it's one that has no true north, because every day it's being changed by the things that we're letting into it. And so if that's the nature of our heart, why would we follow it? So instead of following your heart, don't follow it, instruct your heart. That we lead our heart. We bought a newerish car before we moved out of Minnesota a couple years ago. And I had one of those fancy GPS systems that were in it. And so as soon as we bought it, I programmed the address to our home, our home address. And um, then, you know, shortly after that, we moved down here to Kansas City. Uh, having our home address programmed in there was great and helpful for the time we lived in Minnesota. But since moving down here a couple years ago, I have yet to change the address. And I keep forgetting. Um, and so we were across town a couple weeks ago, and I punched in our home, set home, take me home, and my GPS in the car said it was going to take six and a half hours to get there. <laughs> and I remembered, that's right, it's trying. It wants to take me to the home that I programmed it to. I just haven't given it new instructions. And once I do, then it knows how to get me there. It wants to take me to Minnesota. But I need to instruct it to take it to where I really truly want to go. It's the same with our hearts. It's our job to tell our hearts where to go. We don't follow our heart. We instruct it. Now, hear me. I've heard things like this before, and I feel like sometimes when we talk about this, we're giving the, we're kind of throwing our hearts under the bus a little bit. That this doesn't mean we neglect our hearts. Our hearts are way too valuable and special to do that. No, we pay attention to every single thing in our heart. All of the emotions and thoughts that are happening in our hearts, we need to pay attention to that. We don't ignore them. We don't neglect them. But we do investigate them. We identify those things. We figure out what they are, why they are, why they are, where they're coming from, and what they're trying to tell us. Sometimes what's happening in our heart is screaming danger, danger, and that's a warning light that we need to pay attention to. But... We don't let our hearts lead us. We inform our hearts. We don't let our hearts determine what's best for us. We tell our hearts ways. So watch where you're going. And then here's, here's the last thing. The last way that we can guard our heart is to watch the condition of your heart. There's a question. Um, when I originally wrote this message, I started with the question. But I felt like it might be a better one to end with. And it's the question, how's your heart? What's the condition of your heart? That might seem like a hard question to answer. But just give it a try. And if the heart, everything we do, everything about our life, our character, our actions, our relationships really is a, a reflection of our heart. Everything we do flows from our heart. Then to know the condition of our heart, all we have to do is look at the condition of our lives. So what's the condition of your life? and it'll tell you the condition of your heart. One of the privileges I have is, as one of your pastors is getting to have conversations with people who are in so many different places in life, who are in so many different places with God, and getting to encourage one another along the way. But in these conversations, what I get and what we pray for every week as we talk about where, where, where our church and our world is at as pastors and as we pray for these things, we get a sense of where people are. We get a sense of where people's hearts are at. And these are just some words that as I sat in a room with our pastors, these were some of the words that came to mind. Maybe your heart is hurried. Our world demands that we live at a pace that we can't sustain. 
And so because our world and our lives are hurried, so is our heart, that all of the emotions and thoughts and choices that are trying to happen in that headquarters of our life can't even keep up with the pace that we're running at. That as author John Mark Comer says, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. And maybe what your heart is feeling right now is damage, just simply from the speed that you're running at. Or maybe for you, your heart is beaten down. What the Bible says is downtrodden, which literally means to be trampled upon. That your heart feels like it's been beaten down, whether it's by stress or worry, whether it's been beaten down by temptation and sin that you just feel like you're powerless against now. Maybe it feels like it's beaten down by loneliness or sadness. That could be where your heart is. Maybe your heart is just weak. It's faint-hearted. It's a need of strength, that there's something ahead of you that you don't feel like you have the strength to do. That there are things you're balancing in your life and you're just waiting for something to fall because you're not strong enough to hold them. Maybe for you, your heart is consumed. That there's not so many things, that there's one thing. That there is something that feels so urgent that there feels like there is no space in your heart for anything else. But also, and I, I think sadly this can describe so many of our hearts at different times, maybe your heart is hardened. This is a word that shows up in the Bible a lot to describe people. It's whether they have a hard heart or not. That the New Testament and in several places encourages us, don't let your hearts be hardened. Did you know that in life, your physical heart actually gets harder as you age? This is one of the reasons why we take heart health so seriously because we have to continue, we have to, continue to tend to, to, to nourish our hearts, to keep them soft and alive and, and tender. But I think our, our spiritual hearts, the hearts we're talking about today are the same way, that over time, our hearts can grow hardened. And how do you know if you have a hard heart? It's usually when you become more cynical or bitter than you used to be. You become more angry or resentful you become less compassionate or open-minded. become less forgiving to those around you. It's something that we see all the time as pastors when we sit in a room with spouses who are trying to make it work. And yet, usually we're looking into the eyes of one or two people who long ago learned that the way that they would deal with the pain and disappointment of what they were experiencing in their marriage was by by stiffening their hearts toward one another. See, it, doesn't, it never happens overnight. It's over time that as, as we experience pain, as we experience disappointment, that we learn to deal with it by numbing our heart to those things around us. We can grow a hard heart toward the people in our home, our family, our marriages, our kids. We can grow a hard heart toward God when we experience pain and disappointment on the journey with him. We can have a hard heart toward the church when it lets down our expectations, when times we experience the messiness of community, or when sometimes we just get it wrong as leaders. And so we leave those situations and our hearts grow hard. Or maybe as you think about your heart, you don't really know what condition it's in. It's been a long time since you checked in with it. And if that's you, I wanna tell you that's okay because God does. And maybe today you can believe that 
God sees your heart and what he wants most is to restore it. Whatever the condition of your heart, I want to give you a way that you can begin to care for it. It's one promise and and two prayers. And then the band is going to lead us in a song where we can maybe let these things soak into our hearts. The promise is found in the book of Ezekiel. When he writes, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. That if you feel your heart is beyond repair, he will give you a new one. That's the promise. Here's the prayers. Both come from the Psalms. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a prayer, God, help me to know what's in my heart. Help me to know what's coming into it. Help me to know what's coming out of it. Help me to know what condition it's in. And then another prayer by David, a man, Solomon's own father, a man who had his own mistakes in life, a man described as a man after God's own heart, yet he was also a man who failed to guard his heart, who wrecked his life with sin by following what his heart wanted. Yet he came back to God and he prayed this prayer. And maybe it can be a prayer for you today too. Psalm 51, he writes, create in me a clean, a pure heart, O God. Saying to God, there's something in my heart that shouldn't be there, and I need your help to make it clean. So what I just want to do right now is pray for us. Pray these prayers on our behalf. And you can join with me. Just whatever makes you draw close to God right now. Close your eyes, bow your heads. God, this is our prayer. God, my prayer is that that you would know our hearts. My prayer is that you would soften our hearts if they're hard today. That you would purify our hearts. You would cleanse our hearts. That you would give us a new heart if that, if that is what we so deeply and desperately need. If there's something in our heart, Lord, help us to know what it is. We ask your help for it, God. Maybe there's a frustration or a disappointment in our heart. Maybe there's anger or resentment. Maybe there's a sinful behavior that we need to confess and that we need your help. We need your help to guard these hearts that you've given us. And maybe what we most need is that new heart that you promise us in your word. God, if there's something that above all that I pray for that we most need, God, it's to know the heart that you have for us. I pray that every single person this morning, Lord, right now would know the heart that you have for them that you're not a God who is waiting to be disappointed in the choices that we make, but that the longing of your heart for us right now is a longing to show yourself as good and as strong and as loving as you truly are. And so knowing this, we confess our need for you, God. And what I wanna do too, I wanna pray for a special group of people in this room. In light of the day that we celebrate today, I wanna pray for all you dads. I want to pray not just for you dads, but all of you men. This may be uncomfortable, and if so, you don't have to do it. But if you would, men, would you stand? And the reason I've asked you to do this is so that we can come before God, because what you and I most need is God's help. The unique role that we've been given in this world, whether you are a father whether you one day may be a father, whether you're a father figure in other people's lives, you have given, been given an opportunity, a role, a unique role to reflect who God is to the people around you. 
you and I are gonna be an imperfect version of that at best. The men who followed us were imperfect at best. But God will use you. God needs you. Our church needs you. Our families need you. And what we need most is your heart. This is why this matters, that we would be men who are tending to and guarding our hearts, that we would be recognizing the influence that we have in other people's lives, and that we would be craving God with every ounce of our heart, as hard as that is. And so God, I pray for these men. I pray that these men would, be have, would have hearts that long for you. I pray that these would be men who are seeking hard after your wisdom. I pray that these are men who, even though we are imperfect versions of you, even though we will fail time and time again, you are a God, you are the perfect father to those that we father. And then at the end of the day, what we would do is reflect these children, this world, this church to you, Lord, that we would be men who seek the wisdom that you provide and that would be guarding our own hearts as men who would long after your heart. And men, if this is a prayer that you pray for yourself and for the other men in your life, would you say out loud, amen? Amen. Amen.